0: Hello and welcome to A Bookish Home. I'm your host, librarian and writer, Laura Zara-Kampitsky. And today I'm chatting with Namrata Patel, author of The Candid Life of Mina Dave, about a photojournalist whose solitary life is turned upside down when she unexpectedly inherits an apartment in a Victorian brownstone in historic Back Bay, Boston. Namrata Patel is an Indian-American writer who lives in Boston. Her writing examines diaspora, dual cultural identity among Indian-Americans, and explores this dynamic while also touching on both the families we're born with and those we choose. She's lived in India, Spokane, London, and New York City. Namrata Patel, welcome to a bookish home and congratulations on the candid
1: life of Mina Dave. Thank you so much. I'm very excited to be here.
0: Yes, this um, book was such a treat. I loved these characters. the whole idea of sort of finding a Kind of being with a found family and in Boston near where I live. It was just um, such a joy to read about. And I want to share one of the many rave reviews from Booklist, full of lively characters who will win readers' hearts and keep them thinking long after the book is finished. This book is a genuine, charming debut. Long buried secrets and a journey of self discovery will keep the pages turning. So could you just tell listeners a bit about
1: yourself and um, this debut novel? Yes. Uh, So you summed it up quite nicely in the bio. (laughs) I've been writing for quite a bit now, but this novel just really intersects a lot of my interests, a little bit of history, a little bit of romance, a lot of um, just this idea of navigating who you are versus who you think you are. And uh, it's, you know, uh it's been a joy to to have it out there and have readers sort of respond to it um, and relate to it. So yeah, I and I live in Boston now, but I have traveled quite extensively uh throughout my career. And it's been a privilege, and it's also been uh very interesting to learn how to be in different places and different spaces, uh particularly as I navigate my own identity. In some of those spaces, so it's been um, uh, it's been a culmination of all of the different things that I've done in my life and uh, poured them out into this story. <laughs> yeah, and I
0: did love getting to kind of see through Mina's eyes uh, the different places she travels in the book, and even just sort of the perspective she has on Boston, having traveled so much. That was really fun to read about. Is there sort of a a moment you had when either this character came to you or a hazy version of the plot came to you? Kind of what was the seed of inspiration?
1: Yeah, it was a, a few things sort of uh, happened all in concert. I'm I'm very much a Muller. I have to have the story or some sort of foundation in my head before I put pen to paper, and uh, I was reading about this historical piece about Gujaratis who had come here in the 1920s uh, to study at MIT it, and I didn't know about that. So I thought that was really fascinating. And then my um, brain just sort of gravitated to what it would look like if some of them stayed and then what would they be doing now and who would they be attached to? And then separately, I was sort of trying with the idea of, um, you know, it was just at the start of the pandemic and we had some time and I was like, what would happen if you were just, your place was out in the world and all of a sudden it came to a stop, right? <laughs> and mm. you were like, I don't know what to do right now. And so that's where Mina sort of germinated from. Um, this idea of like, you just go about your life and all of a sudden, boom, that sort of has to change. But I didn't necessarily, at that time, want to write about the pandemic or anything like that. I just wanted to write about like the sea change in your life. And, you know, I I wasn't prescient, but the whole idea of like how all of us have had to change, right, in some way, shape or form. And then all of us are in different degrees going through or have gone through some sort of introspection, a lot have changed careers, a lot have relearned how to navigate relationships, things like that. So it sort of um, was as I was writing it, I was thinking about this character and what if she found her connections through this historical building. And that was really all of the things that sort of swirled around in my mind while I was um, thinking about it before I started writing. And then the process of writing began, began and I'm sort of a an excavator or an archaeologist where I can sort of keep digging and digging and digging with each revision. So it was a really, it was a really interesting time to write a book about something like this that referenced what was going on in our world, but wasn't really what was going on in our world. Yeah. It's so
0: interesting. You say that I, before we spoke this morning, I was talking to Annabelle Monahan, her new book is Nora Goes Off Script, and she was also saying that um, the the book basically came out of um, wanting during COVID and lockdown to sort of escape to a kind of happier um, story and place. And I just think it's interesting. We're kind of at this point where a lot of books are coming out that were either... Written during COVID, or maybe like um, the seeds were sort of planted in people's minds during COVID. It's just kind of interesting to see creatively what comes out of that, even though like neither of the books reference the pandemic or anything. Just kind of seeing how that affects authors and and their creativity. As you're talking about kind of um, excavating and finding the story, I thought Mina's character was so complex and felt so real was she a character that it kind of took a while for you to get to know and and kind of figure her out and how did you go about doing that
1: yes she was tough to get to know (laughs) (laughs) because um maybe it comes across but she's very guarded and I think uh for me it was trying to figure out you know how to how do you when, you know, I'm a guarded person to a degree, and I've met other introverts or other people who are sort of preferred to be in their own space, like, it takes years to sort of adapt to that, right? And so trying to figure out who she was and how to convey her um, on the page in like such a condensed way in a limited time timeline that the novel takes place in and show growth was that was something that I had to keep working and poking around uh, particularly around like how do you show growth how do you show someone opening up and what are those little points that that um, show that oh I've changed and then you know I also wanted to make sure that the character was human in the way that we all regress at times so there were times in the novel where she lapses back into where her comfort zone is whenever uh, there's an emotionally charged uh, point that she has to deal with. Uh, But she can't really have that too much (laughs) in the book. Uh, (laughs) So it it was a very fine balance to show who she is at the beginning of the book and then how she grows towards the end of the book and make sure that each of those pieces of growth are, you know, followed the arc, even though um, it could have been, uh, you know, it could have taken a tong- longer timeline or it could have taken more. Um, I just wanted to make sure it was like a slow but intentional way of her changing and adapting. And I wanted to really uh, understand like, what, what are you what are you missing that you don't know you're missing until you, it, it's in your face, right? So she's very, you know, content in the beginning of the book with the way her life is. And she's not really aware of what's missing. She has grief, but she's sort of bypassed that. I won't say overcome it, but she just sort of like put it in a corner and then she just built a life for herself. And then when she has to face all of the things from her past and when she's when she sees the connections and relationships others have. And then when she gets embraced in that sort of buildings community, that's where she figures out, wait, there's a huge chunk of my my life that was missing that I didn't even know. So it was a it was, <laughs> she wasn't easy to know and she wasn't easy to grow. If I can just <laughs> Put it in those terms.
0: Well, it was very, um, I think that's one of the things I loved about the book. I It was very satisfying as a reader, kind of watching her take these little baby steps toward growth. And I also loved how um, just kind of the way you've structured it. Um, I sort of love watching, like, the seasons change around mm-hmm. her in Boston, like, as she's kind of... Um, changing and kind of letting people in a little bit more or like taking different steps. Was that kind of intentional? I'm just a sucker for like, I I love a new England season in general. And all the references to, you know, like now it's Halloween and they've got, you know, the pumpkins everywhere. And now they're off for
1: Christmas drinks. And it's just like, I loved all that. Uh, First, I couldn't write about Boston if it wasn't set in the fall because that is my favorite season But I also, you know, I I think about the arc and, you know, this as a New Englander um, of the fall is very cozy and things are like cool and fine. And you're just sort of um, navigating the beauty. And then the winter is where you sort of hunker down and things get a little hard, especially Mm -hmm. in January, February. You're like, oh, my God. Why do I live here? (laughs) Yeah. And then, you know, all of a sudden you have that one nice spring day and you're like, oh, I get it. And so I wanted, I sort of, you know, wanted to have that, that sort of cycle for the book where in the winter is where she encounters all of these things. And then by spring, there are resolutions. And in the fall, there's a little bit of like, exploration of like, oh, this is so interesting and pretty or, you know, curious or all of that. So (laughs) that was sort of the art. And I wanted to show the, the, i wanted to show off boston really <laughs> yeah. well you do a great job <laughs> um
0: well the other reason i felt like this book just felt so um cozy and kind of made me want to be there is um just the whole cast of characters you have um at the engineer's house and um just the way they interact with each other and have all this shared history and kind of take care of one another. And I'd love to hear a little bit more about the, um, the the house that that's really based off of, and then kind of how you went about um, kind of creating this um, fictionalized version and all of these kind of lovely characters.
1: Yeah. And again, it was, you know, uh, Marlboro street is one of my favorite streets in Boston. It's just, picturesque and glorious and um particularly in the spring and fall and um you know I wanted to it was a you know it was a sort of a um conceit to say what if they stayed and then what if they stayed in a single house and when I first moved to or came to America with my family we lived in a building in Hoboken um where there were a lot of other Indian families and we didn't nobody was related and nobody knew each other but we formed our own community where you know it's a very collectivist way of living right and we i they would babysit me after school or you know one time as a bratty teenager i ran away and went upstairs to my uncle's house like that's how you run away you know? <laughs> and so i wanted to show that collectivism of of indian american culture and uh, the openness of like there are no locked doors you just walk in and out anybody will feed you at any time there you know and everybody is your parent if you're a kid and you are everybody's parent if you're an adult um and so i the conceit was what if they all lived in this one house and it just was descendants of these original visitors uh from india and then uh, i wanted to create that environment of like Long term friendships, long term um, living like family, having that openness, you know, at the beginning of the book where it was the front door is very uninviting and and cool and austere. And then when she walks into the hallway, all of the warmth is reserved for inside the house. And that was that was very much what I wanted to show was that this building may seem cold and guarded. um, And a lot of the Victorian buildings do give off that vibe, right? But inside it was just just uh, um, lively and full of full of community and belonging. And you know the other part was to really um, make sure that she walked into an environment where she couldn't really avoid the community and the collectiveness of this collectivism of this building. Uh, you couldn't sort of be a loner in an apartment like that. So I wanted to, you know, I wanted to push her a little bit. um, And particularly with the locked doors, part of it is um, what it means to have this notion of, you know, in Western culture, individualism and privacy versus how it is in collectivist cultures. So I wanted to navigate those two parts in, in this one story. Oh, I love it, and I want to just
0: go visit the house and have. I wish it existed. All of because I,
1: <laughs> I would want to move in there now. Oh, I want to, you know, like
0: somehow get an apartment next door or something, become their neighbor, <laughs> go to their Halloween trick or treat. You know, party you <laughs> <laughs> uh, It's just it's so vivid in my mind, and I um was at such a loss when the book was over. Like I just couldn't believe that I didn't get to spend any more time with these characters. And um, is it for you? Do you think that kind of you're, you're done with this world and these characters? Like, would we maybe see them again? <laughs> <laughs> I get asked. That bring them back.
1: <laughs> <laughs> um, I, you know, in, As a writer, you never say done because the story, you know, there's a whole, they have whole lives before the story starts. So it is only fair that they have whole lives after the story ends, right? Whether I will revisit them or not and find a different moment in time in their lives, I don't know yet. (laughs) (laughs) My next book is completely different and set in a different place and it still straddles the collectivism versus individualism and this like idea of exploring the dual identity um, in a very Western place. I I do I do think that these aunties are a force of nature so I'm not gonna say no because they might get mad at me
0: (laughs) no they might have like a niece or nephew come
1: visit and then we follow them can I just tell you the best is like a a lot of readers have like reached out and be like I I have the sequel in my head I just want (laughs) you to can you write this this is where like I want Sam's story or I want like all of this stuff. And I'm like, okay, you all can write it. It's I know there's going to be it. like, there's
0: going to be a whole crap of fan fiction after. after I would love I that. <laughs> uh, um, well, is the next, do you have a, cause one of the things I think is great is just getting to see, like, I love the scenes that took place in London. I love the way you bring Boston to life. Do you have a different setting that you're going to for the next book?
1: Yeah, I'm uh, setting it in Napa Valley and there's a bit of history. So I'd like to have a bit of um, Indian American history in my books. And, you know, um, there's a huge uh, contingent of Desi hotel owners in the U.S. and Canada. Um, It's like over 40 percent of hotels are owned by Desis. Um, And the first hotel owner Indian American hotel owner opened a hotel in the 40s 1940s Uh, now I have to clarify the century (laughs) 1940s uh, in San Francisco so this is an offshoot from that historical point and the the evolution of that and it's it's not it's that's the setting of it but it's the story about a perfumer who loses her sense of smell and is trying to figure out how to get her career back on track because she can't do that without a sense of smell oh, oh that sounds great um yeah. well so that has like that has doesn't necessarily have aunties it has moms and dads and it has grandmas and you know <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, it is still within the same vein of like wanting to show this, um, and, you know, one of the things that I wanted to make sure was it was a comfort sort of read. And while it explores some topics, like I kept the angst to a minimum because I just felt like, you know, we were we were and are where we are and just need some happiness when we do. need
0: something. So we need we need the comfort. Um, oh I will look forward to reading that. Well I'm curious, um, you know, this is your debut and I'm always curious about people's writing journeys. Did this book sort of, um, you know, come into being quickly, like in terms of writing and, and getting acquired and published, or do you kind of have a winding writing journey? Do you have like manuscripts in drawers that, that hadn't come out kind of what's your writing journey been like?
1: Yeah. Um. You know, someone said oh describe your writing journey in an, in a in a sentence and I'm like are you kidding me <laughs> but I would say you know um, patience, patience practice and perseverance. perseverance because um, I started writing 25 years ago and I wanted to write our stories they uh, see American stories and from an assimilated point not necessarily about the immigrant exp- experience and there weren't a lot of of authors that I could sort of say, you know, represented what I wanted to write, uh, at that time. Now there are hundreds and I'm not hundreds, but it almost (laughs) in the fifties. And that makes me happy. But, um, so trying to break into publishing when it was still categorized as ethnic fiction was really tough. Um, and then, you know, I just kept practicing and kept practicing and then about five years ago Uh, and and, you know yes many shelved novels some that should be in drawers they were just not great (laughs) Um, shelved short stories uh, shelved collections all the things but I you know I count those as practice and I count those as refining the craft and refining my voice Um, and then I, I signed with an agent about years ago and that in and of itself was a journey for another day (laughs) but um you know the the market was still very tough in that if you wanted to traditionally publish you sort of had to fill a slot and most publishing houses you know had one slot for DC writer or even just a writer of color and and now they may have two or three right so it's uh it's still a continuing Journey, but when I I wrote and went on submission with two other novels um, that didn't find home, (laughs) and I think you know things happen for a reason, I suppose, and maybe that was not the right novel for that time, maybe they just didn't have any more slots, Um, you know, in a lot of the things that a lot of writers of color go through with like unrelatable or we don't know how to market this book or things like that so you constantly have to prove yourself and um when you do that you do continue to also refine your Mm -hmm. voice and refine your writing and I never obviously those are like uh things where you know their tears shed and there's like anger and there's all of that but then I'm a pragmatic person by nature so I'm like all right well I'm not giving up because I'm already <laughs> I've already have 25 years in. And so when this book came about, you know, and I pitched it to my agent, and she's like, Yeah, I'll write this book. And then um it sort of came together fairly quickly. And I think this is this is where the all of that practice pays off. And um we went on submission, and then Lake Union was like, and Mega, which couldn't you imagine it finding an you know, they see editor who has my identity, who got the jokes and everything was like, yeah, let's do this. And that was, that was, um, then it happened super fast. And it f- happened within like under a year from deal to publishing. So um, it, it was a slow journey. And then it just super fast at the end of it.
0: Yeah, <laughs> uh, that's very inspiring, too. And yeah, kind of, infuriating to think about sort of how you know the experiences you were having to go through and that things still haven't changed nearly enough and I wonder kind of I wonder then if it's if so much of it has to do with like publishing needing to change from inside or do you have any thoughts on I know there's like such a long way to go
1: you know in my other career I work on systems like civil civil um, engagement and leadership and changing systems. And I think publishing is just one of those bigger systems that needs to rethink um, the business model, right? So uh, I will, we are in a capitalist society that is like, that is the baseline that we work with, right? So publishing is a for-profit industry and we understand how that works. But this for-profit industry has like, been set up and structured you know from hundreds maybe over a hundred years ago to the way it operates which is um a few at the top make money while others sort of feed the machine and it's like a holdover from the industrial revolution in a way right Mm -hmm. and our world has changed so much in terms of like the way we've sort of um look at the the way people commoditize things in a uh, economy such as ours, and you know, when self-publishing came into play, people started seeing different opportunities for different things. But the system itself is still so big and still so has carries so much weight that, in order to get any traction, uh, unless you are just amazingly successful as a self-published author. You still need to be a part of the system to to get there, and so uh, it's a long winded answer to your question. But this whole idea of how do you change it, it it's it's a two pronged way, right? You have to have readers to feed into it, and then you have to have people who work in those institutions and the big big trade publishers to say, oh, I know how to I know how to show to market this story. I know how to edit this story. I know how to think about it in the context of these diverse authors. So, you know, I'll say like when I talked about my book about individualism versus collectivism, there is a western narrative to- form and then there's an eastern narrative form, right? And Like even to the smallest bit of like passive heroines versus active heroines. And you know, a lot of lot of comments I got from editors from past work was like, Your heroine is too passive. And I'm like, Yeah, in Eastern culture, things happen to you and the community solves things for you, and there is no heroine's journey, right? But that is so much ingrained in Western culture. Very Mm -hmm. it is much from Joseph Campbell to now the heroine's journey. So editors Trying to recognize like different narrative forms, trying to recognize, well, this story, you don't, you can relate to it, not from like it centers your lived experience, but that it is a good story, right? Yeah. So that's where I think the mindset has to change from editors to publishers and the model where you need a few hits so then you can support. A lot of novels. And maybe that's not the right business model, right? Right. Uh, so I, I think there is, at least in the last, you know, decade we've seen, or maybe a little longer, there is a voracious reading population out there. So you have enough people who read loads of books, right? If you look at Goodreads and see some people have like, their goal is 300 books a year. I'm like, how do you do that? But (laughs) there is a voracious um, appetite for books and how do you commoditize and how do you then also distribute because the gatekeepers are still the gatekeepers, right? Um, Right. I'm a Lake Union author. So independent bookstores may not want to carry my book (laughs) because- Uh, There's a, you know, in a way, they have to say no, because Amazon is a competitor or things like that. So what does that ultimately mean in terms of getting books into the hands of the most readers as possible? And how how does the system have to change? And honestly, if I can come up with an answer, I will go do it. <laughs> but it's too big of a system for me to take on right now
0: <laughs> for any of us. But yeah. I yeah, I do think it's interesting to think about it from that like systemic approach and even just the whole the idea of it being sort of like a self-fulfilling prophecy like whatever um, you know, book publishers decide to put a ton of money behind will, mm-hmm. you know, get more attention and do better. So it's even just like, you know, that the that the dollars are also going toward, you know, diverse authors and books, and yeah, it's it's this interesting dilemma. Um,
1: and it's weighted, right? So even just the idea of like, oh, this is a direct diverse author is still othering, right? Versus this is an author. So you you never say this is a white author. You just right, say this right. is an author. But you always say, oh, you know. Uh, Nisha Sherma as a diverse author or um, so that's like um, that's part of the system that I'm talking about which is hard because I don't want to have the hyphenation all the time right I live the hyphenation but I don't Mm -hmm. necessarily want to sell books just to people who want to read about hyphenation. I just want to be able people to read a good story. <laughs> right. And right. that's the that most authors want that. Right. So it's um, and, and, you know, marketing is what it is. So you kind of have to segment and categorize and, and sort through so that people can find you. Um, but that's, again, part of the system.
0: Yeah, I guess a better way of phrasing it then might be like, they need to spread the money around to maybe not just the most prominent like white male or white I mean female I don't know just spread the money around so that like all these books get a chance to reach all kinds of readers I mean I think they're maybe not giving readers enough credit that people want to read all kinds of books Um, you know I think there's such an appetite for just voracious readers just
1: wanting a good story and yeah it's it's yeah and if if the institutions can learn from self publishing, that's the thing they can learn is the readers are out there and they want stories, and readers don't necessarily, yes, of course, there'll always be a segment that says, I only read this, right? But they don't necessarily just want to read one type of story, and we make assumptions in our in our country that most people still just want to read one type of story right yeah I don't think
0: readers categorize things in their minds like publishers do by any means so <laughs> yeah I think it's a it's definitely an interesting conversation to and hopefully to, to kind of keep having um more progress made well
1: like I said I'm a pragmatic person so we have made progress in the last 10 years and we will continue to make progress right it isn't it is not like there is the systems are changing very slowly, but they're changing. Now there isn't just one slot. Multiple imprints carry more than one diverse author on their list, right? So mm-hmm. it's getting there. <laughs> slow, slow. It's, uh, it's I mean, there's progress.
0: Baby, little, little baby steps that are... Little baby steps, yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, speaking of publishing and books, I always love to hear what authors have been reading lately. Are there any books that you'd want to recommend?
1: Oh well, I'm gonna recommend, uh, you know, obviously go read any author of color. <laughs> um, I um, particularly that they see authors that I've I've read, um, Farah Hiran, Nisha Sharma. There, uh, the list goes on. So Nali Dev. I read a lot of nonfiction. So I just started um, Piper Hughley's novel about Anne Lowe. I'm fascinated by this uh, designer from Alabama. Um, I just finished uh, Chuck Klosterman's The 90s. When I'm writing and right now I'm in revisions, like I I have to turn to nonfiction just to have a different sort. It's just to not have like a really good voice, a fictional voice in my head. Um, So I've been reading and then uh, because my book is about a perfumer, I'm <laughs> to just Diary of a Nose, The Perfect Scent, like all of these <laughs> perfume books. <laughs> and then the science, smell, chemistry books, all of all of the above. So not necessarily, I, I wish I had like a coherent list of like two or three books that I would absolutely recommend. But here's a plethora. Yeah.
0: <laughs> it's just fun, fun to hear sometimes what people are reading. And it's, Um, I always like to hear kind of what, authors find they can read while they're writing so that is interesting to kind of hear about your nonfiction takes um yeah
1: yeah Um, i'm currently right now i'm reading a book called smellosophy tells the mind
0: (laughs) (laughs) Uh, um, well i can't wait to read um the next book although i know this book just released i'm already i read it too quickly and now i'm um needing needing uh your next book out um and, you can pre-order
1: um, it. It's oh, called yeah. scent of a garden. It's a you know, it doesn't have a cover or anything. It'll be out next June.
0: But... Oh, all right. <laughs> well, if people are like me and read The Candid Life of Mina Dave way too quickly, then we can just go ahead and pre-order the next one. Um and you know, the other thing I I so many books lately, I just feel like maybe it's just the ones I'm drawn to lately. I feel like I can see so clearly like being brought to the screen. Is there any talk of that? I just feel like this would make such a good movie.
1: (laughs) You and me both. (laughs) (laughs) I don't have any sense of like what that would look like right now. Um, But I do. One of the things that I really wanted to bring was like a visual depiction of a setting. And I, I really wanted the reader to feel like they could walk down Marlborough Street or walk through the common or public gardens so it is a very visual book and of course in my mind you know I know what everybody looks like and I, yeah. I can see their story but um, I wish I had something to announce or say but no that is still just a dream.
0: Well, we're putting it out into the universe and oh, just like see the house come to life. And um, oh, it would Gosh. be so lovely. Um, oh, I have,
1: the- you know, the foyer where they keep, where they refresh the roses and the potpourri. Yeah, like- like, I just want that.
0: <laughs> uh, and we didn't even really get into, you know, Sam and Mina. I don't want to give too much away, but like seeing yeah. kind of their friendship and everything play out would be so lovely. So, and the was- puppy, like how oh, can we the not... Puppy. And all the holidays. All right. So if anyone's listening who has any you know, ties at Netflix or anything, you know, you've got to pick yes. up your copy of The Candid Life of Mina Dave and start reading. So let's it can be a it out day. there. Yes. <laughs> uh, well, I, you know, I really hope that people um, order a copy from their local bookstore yes. or, um, you know, place a library hold. But I, I think people are really going to enjoy reading this Was such a treat. Um, and just thank you so much for coming on. I'll definitely be sure to link to your website and all the books that you you mentioned and um, best of luck bringing the book out continuing to bring it out into the world
1: thanks and I do I did forget to mention but I um, write in libraries so (gasps) libraries are a place in my heart I (laughs) whenever I need to go it's not about a cafe I I don't like ambient noise I love the library (laughs) so I find the the rarest corner among the stacks to sit and write so I'm so appreciative of libraries I think they just just do an amazing service to the community so yes get it from your library if you can (laughs) (laughs) oh that makes me happy um
0: well Namrata thank you again and um I hope you have um a wonderful time uh continuing um to celebrate the book
1: thank you and thanks for this opportunity I really appreciate it For links to all of the books mentioned on this week's episode, you
0: can visit abookishhome.com, and there you'll also find a link to our new online bookshop. Um, A Bookish Home has teamed up with the new organization Bookshop.org, which supports independent bookstores. And if you'd like, you can browse books by authors who have been guests on A Bookish Home. I'm also sharing there all the books mentioned on the podcast, books I've been reading lately, and other recommendations. It's a really wonderful site to browse and look through books. And if you make a purchase, it supports A Bookish Home and independent bookstores, so it's a win-win. So if you want to check that out directly, it's bookshop.org slash shop slash home. And you'll also find that at abookishhome.com. If you are enjoying the show, I hope you take a minute to subscribe and also rate and review in iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. And if you enjoyed this episode, I would encourage you to share it on social media to help other people find the show and this episode. Thanks for listening, everyone, and happy reading.